Welcome to the Black Hat Chat podcast with Lee Johnson and Reverend Kai, a weekly show about living as a modern crafter where two witches discuss a variety of topics concerning magic and witchcraft. You can also catch us live on Fridays at 4pm GMT on YouTube or Twitch. The links are in the description of the podcast or in the about section. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, good people, wherever you may be. Welcome back to the Blackout Chat, collaboration between myself, Lee Johnson, and Reverend Kai, who is right across the world. <laughs> and yet, right next door. And right next door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is just a show that we, we do every Friday, if you haven't watched before. Uh, we get together and we talk about magic and witchcraft. And today we are going to talk about the devil in the craft because it's very interesting. But before we do that, if you haven't checked out the Wildwood Temple, a Facebook group, it's a community, it's ours, it's everybody's. <laughs> Links are in the description. If you haven't checked out our Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee, please do so. We have various tiers, we're offering courses. Uh, there's a tarot course by Reverend Kai, and I do a demonology course. And yes, you can go and get courses, and you can learn lots and lots of things. We also have a monthly Hearthfire chat mm -hmm. in both Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee, where we get together and talk face to face in depth about things, or sometimes act extremely silly. Depends on depends on who's there and how we're feeling. Yes, if I'm there, it has to get silly. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's talk about devil in the craft so everybody who believes there is a devil in the craft please raise your hand thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there's a whole um it's i think we're going to go back to the book book red wicker again that uh you know you believe in the devil. No, we don't. The devil doesn't exist in the witchcraft. Um, what's wrong? Uh, well, I suppose to a certain degree it could be right. Um, I'm sure there are people that mm. do not have a devil in their craft. Well, some people don't follow deities at all, so I guess that yeah. would be true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know that the devil in the craft is always in the same slot that most people would put deity in other religions um mm. traditional witchcraft doesn't necessarily i mean not doesn't period but doesn't necessarily relate to their divinities the same way that other religions do mm -hmm. yeah there's um, a lot more a lot more options yeah all right so where did this whole devil thing come from i mean obviously it was it started with a theological devil of the Christian Bible uh, and then spread across because that got associated with the horn god. Anything that was horned or goat-footed or anything related to that 
actually, I think any any god that wasn't the Christian god became the devil. Um, but in traditional craft, it became that that horned god, the goat foot god. Well, so back when Christianity was moving across cultures absorbing cultures and creating the idea of the devil you know if you read biblical descriptions especially old testament it doesn't make any sense why the devil is depicted as cloven or hooved with horns with goat eyes none of those make any sense for a predator evil antagonist those are all things that go with pastoral animals <laughs> horns are not um, for predators, they're for prey animals, they're defensive. They keep you from having your head eaten. Yeah. Uh, they allow you to fend off things with tooth and claw. And, you know, that's not part of uh, the devil mythology in the craft or the, the antagonizer, the pursuer. Hooves, you don't run fast with hooves, you stand around on rocky things with hooves. Yeah. Predators do not have hooves. They have paws and claws, mm. right? And goat eyes on the side of your head. If you have eyes on the side of your head, you're a prey animal. You want the biggest field of vision to watch out for predators. If you have eyes in the front of your head, you're a predator mm. because you're stalking prey. And those square pupil things, they look creepy to us, sure, but they have a wide, wider field of vision than our round pupils that let in more light and allow or, allow us to focus on movement. Mm. So, you know, those characteristics had to have been imported from somewhere else. And they're imported from a religion that had gods that represented pastoral animals, food, milk sources, clothing sources, like sheep and goats, mm. you know, if that is one of your primary sources of food and clothing, then that's going to be something you make offerings to. Just like if your primary source of food is corn, then you're going to do whatever religious magical technology you've got to make sure that you have corn because mm. it makes you live. And if goats are the thing, then you're going to end up with an anthropomorphic deity that is goat and man because this is how you appeal to the goat spirit this is your intercessor between the two so you can have food and clothing and and you know nourishment and life but it doesn't make sense for those to be an antagonist hmm. it, those are not antagonistic characteristics so they had to have been imported they had to have come into christianity from elsewhere yeah although i mean if you think about it from a, I suppose, Christian point of view, this is a deity or a god which is worshipped by other people. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, anything that's worshipped by other people and is not your god then becomes evil. It's just that instant kind of labelling. Yeah, and that <laughs> is kind of how at least early and medieval Christianity was set up um, mythology-wise. That, you know, there's us and there's others, and the others are 
evil, bad, mm. the the enemy. Really, it was, you know, framed as a war. And so I think the fact that they repeatedly encountered horned gods and they repeatedly encountered cloven gods and they put them all together to come up with the Christian idea of Satan, mm. I think is good evidence that there were lots of people who liked goats mm. and relied upon them, especially in Northern Europe where it's mountainous and cold. And goats are one of the, you know, food animals that survive in that environment. Sheep too, and sheep look very similar. Uh, but we get goats and, and the, the beard associated with uh, Satan and the devil frequently. But you know, <laughs> um, now I lost my, you know, oh, sorry, beard. Sorry, sorry. I lost my train of thought. There I went right out <laughs> beard stroking is has power <laughs> it does it does <laughs> um hello helena and andrea andrea said goat's eyes do freak people out perhaps that's one reason why they and revkai i'm not sure what's going on here well revkai did, did say what you were going to say so there you go and <laughs> The witch in the woods, half man, half goat. Yes. Um, Andrea Lee, I always wonder why they have the green man on churches. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we'll have to, yeah. have to talk about that. Well, and uh, we've got the um, early depictions of Moses with horns. Mm. And we've got some other sculptures, early, early, uh, you know, 1400s, I think. Um, but there are there are Christian figures, perhaps, I don't know, saints, divinities, if they fall in that category, depends on how we're looking at it, that have horns. Mm. Because it was a sign of spiritual knowledge and being connected to God. And it was later that it was determined, ah, no, horns belong to the bad side, not all of the spiritual side. And, you know, that changed. Uh, Christian... Um, iconography and ideas about the devil have changed a lot over the course of Christianity. Yeah. But a I, mean, lot. I think if you go into, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> if you go into the ancient history of, of most of this, I mean, you go into, if you have a look at the Hebrew religion, originally it was a, a bull, bull headed God, mm. you know, yeah. with horns. Um, but at some point, that's you know, somebody decides that's not the way it should be. Let's change it. Um, and I think, I mean, if you go back into early Christianity when it when it started moving across Europe, there was a lot of integration between the pagan um, traditions and Christianity itself. I mean, yeah, uh, Reverend Robert Kirk, who uh, wrote the whole Fairy Companion, uh, or, or I've forgotten the term now, the word. Um, but I mean, he spoke about about the relationship with fairies and everything else. Um, so there was a lot yeah. of that incorporation. Well, just got bled out. Early Christianity was one religion amongst many in a society that viewed religion as a pure plurality. Mm. Everybody thought everyone could have whatever religion they wanted. Uh, sometimes, especially with Roman influence, there was a state religion. And then there was like personal house religion. 
but it was understood that people had different religions mm. and Christianity was one among many. And many people, you know, put things together or had blended families uh, that were from different religions and that sort of thing. And it, it was pretty normal. The monoculture, only one religion thing is new, rather new as part of Western society over the course of history. And the idea that, you know, these things are separate and never the twain shall meet is pretty new also. Mm. Um, Andrew also said uh, the St. Christopher had a dog's head. Mm. Didn't know that. Yeah, there's a depiction of St. Christopher mm. oh, with a dog's head. It, yeah. uh, the Witch in the Woods, Owls, Fairies and Fawns. That was uh, Reverend Reverend Robert Kirk's book, but there was a mm. I can't remember the name of it. Um, R.J. Stewart actually uh, did a translation into more modern English. Um, the Secret Commonwealth. There you go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Secret Commonwealth. Yeah. And the R.J. Stewart's translation is a lot easier to read. Oh yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> the old Scottish English, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I, I've dug through some, you know, early manuscripts and stuff, and I can parse old English okay, but, ooh, man, some of that, some of that's a hard read. Yeah, I read one page, <laughs> it took me a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd rather read Old Norse. <laughs> Grammar's easier. <laughs> Um, Andrea said at the beard bald, what have you been up to? I've been licking goats. I'm just waiting <laughs> waiting for the horns to grow now. <laughs> waiting for the horns to come in. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the green man on churches, um, when a lot of the early churches were built, it wasn't Christians doing the building necessarily. Yeah, I was or it was people that viewed Christianity as part of their pagan traditions. Mm. And so they, again, that plural society, they treated it as just another religion. Oh, I can go build this church and worship the green man and, you know, dance with the witch in the woods and all of those other things because it was all, it was all seen as part of a whole, mm. not Christian or other. And so, there were a lot of icons that were incorporated into church architecture from gargoyles and demons to um, priests with giant phalluses <laughs> to various depictions of sex to green man and on and on and on. You start looking at that iconography in churches and it's, it's really fascinating. A lot of it is in the wood carving and a lot of it is up in little corners and kind of hidden and tucked away. Mm. And that's probably because that's what survived. Mm. You know, there weren't these huge stained glass windows of depicting a sex scene in the middle of church. Those were too big. But, you know, you sit there in church for hours and start wandering around and you're like, why? Why is there a giant phallus in the corner? Mm. <laughs> why? So why that? The first thing I do when I go into an old church is look for pagan symbols. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the witch in, witch in the Woods says lots of dragons in churches too 
Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I think especially probably especially in um, churches in in England where you had the the red dragon versus the white dragon, um, which was very much that incorporation of the Christianity with the pagan faith. I think. Yeah. yeah. And dragons Arthur. and serpents occupy an interesting spot both in Christian mythology and in pagan mythology, mm. much the same as a devil, in that, you know, they're sources of wisdom and learning and teaching and knowledge, but then they come over into Christianity and eventually are turned into something evil, something bad, something that is the antagonist, because that's the only spot for outside information in a lot of Christianity today, at least. Um, it might have been different in the past, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious. I mean, if it took 100 years for all of that to bleed out into what we know as Christianity Christianity today, you know, in 100 years from now, what's Christianity going to be? It's no, yeah, uh, I mean, very curious to know. Things change. Things change drastically, mm. you know as people reinterpret things and rewrite things, all the translations that the the Bible has gone through and how things have changed and words have changed, mm. you know, as we go through translations, reading the Bible in Greek is a whole different book yeah. than reading it in, in modern English, mm. especially the new updated versions or like five or six updates, even after King James that, you know, really radically transformed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrew said, uh, I think perhaps they had to incorporate all the pagan ideas in the churches. And Kai has just said exactly what I was going to, as usual. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry, it's fun. <laughs> don't, don't do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. But there, I think there is that aspect of, you know, the, the builders of the churches were probably from the old pagan faith, um, and they, they decided to incorporate it. But there is also the factor of, you know, as the Christian Christians came in, they converted a king in order to convert mm -hmm. the people. Right, so, and if they converted the king, then they converted the whole country. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But in order to do that, they had to blend the two so that it wasn't, like, so far-fetched from what they know already to something that is completely opposite or completely different. So they blended the two in order to sort of, you know, incorporate it and bring them to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, I think it's the yeah, dark side, light side, whatever. Um, Burke says hi. Hi, Burke. Hello, Burke. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to move my hands for Burke. We're going, a little. we're going to Morning, Vogue again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, Andrea missed the voguing last time. Oh, no. Oh. Can't miss our voguing. No. It's very important. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So I think most of us who are in the craft probably know <laughs> purchase of Vogue. <laughs> probably know the mm, that there is a tradition where pagan gods and pagan iconography ended up in Christianity. Mm. Right? 
But then there's also the other direction. There's when Christianity was so prevalent that witchcraft and paganism was back underground and was then practiced in the language of Christianity because it was the only way to accomplish that. And my theory is that went on for enough generations that some of the translation from pagan back to Christian was lost. And so when we look back at our pagan history, some of it looks like just Christian because it, it came from paganism through Christianity, got translated into that Christian language, and now we're going back the other way, back into trying to find the true pagan roots and, and that sort of idea. I'm not sure that can be done. But so I think it's we can't just toss out the Christian influence, especially when we start talking about things like the devil, because mm. that's a huge point of influence about ideas and everything else in the craft as it's shaped over the years and as the snake of knowledge has woven its way in and out through those two paradigms. Well, I think we are seeing that a lot. Well, we have been seeing that a lot over past um, century with the Western mystery tradition. Um, you know, the incorporation. I mean, even even Crowley spoke about, you know, he had the, the Ode to Pan and everything else. Um, yeah. And that incorporation of the Kabbalistic with the Christian and everything else into that whole tradition. Uh, which in the woods asked, is witchcraft heavily influenced by Christianity when it talks about the devil? Uh, we've got the theological devil and the folkloric devil, uh, and I think that's where the dif where it needs to be differentiated. So the theological devil is that that evil figure of the Christians, whereas the folkloric devil is the horned god of of the witch. Um, but I, I think it's just the word just got brought over, and it was being associated with this horned figure. And it just got adopted. Well, just like demon means mm. tutelary spirit, devil comes from a deva, which is the declension of deva, which we still use deva to mean like tree spirit or plant spirit, mm. nature spirit. So, you know, came from pagan, went through Christianity, got translated, got changed, now we're going back the other way. Mm. But... I do think witchcraft could be said to be heavily influenced by Christianity in the history of, of the process, just like Christianity was heavily influenced by paganism and witchcraft. So um, we may have dipped our strawberry in the chocolate and now it looks brown, but it's still a strawberry inside. And this is why in the craft we say the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Mm. Just because it looks like something on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that the core is something different. Mm, now you've got me thinking about st chocolate strawberries. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. It's a chocolate kind of morning. I made my, <laughs> my dark brew in my Baphomet mug because we're talking about the devil today. Whoa. So I had to have my Baphomet mug. <clears throat> but my dark brew is tea and coffee and chocolate. <laughs> yes, I'm going to get my hot chocolate. The holy trifecta. 
<laughs> the holy trifecta. Uh. <laughs> um, Andrea said Catholicism seems to have a load of pagan iconography. Incense burning, do you think it's because it made it more palatable? Mm, not sure which came before which. I mean, Christian Catholicism, there is a lot of, um, I mean, there's even idol worship, if we, we can put it that way. Um, you know, there's, there's the working with the saints, which could be seen as, I mean, it, it is monotheistic. Um, but it's also henotheistic or, or polytheistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, Catholicism has always seemed very pagan to me in, in that sense. I don't know. Um, I mean, there has been some moves because we have edicts from popes and stuff like that that's written where they're like, you can't fight the pagans, just adopt them mm. um, through iconography, through other things. But Catholicism was before Protestantism, right? And the rituals of Catholicism are like the rituals of other religions at the time. This is just what religion was. Mm. It included communion ideas. It included incense as offerings to God because burning got things to gods. And the Christianity that Catholicism came out of was performing those rituals. And that came out of Judaism that was performing those kinds of rituals that had offerings, that had um, something like we call communion, sharing of food and that sort of thing. Yes, it changed at each iteration, you know, and the understanding and everybody made the rituals their own. But if you go look at historical Judaism, you'd probably think it was paganism mm. because that was what ritual and religion was. That is what everyone was doing. The Protestant uh, schism and the Reformation really changed the face of Christianity drastically. And one of the big protests of Protestantism was Catholicism is pagan. Look at all these pagan rituals they're doing, the candles and the incense and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. It's too pagan. And so that was a purposeful move away from those pagan ideas. And now when people talk about Christianity, they're usually talking about modern Protestant Christianity as opposed to Catholicism. I mean, Catholic means universal. Mm. Catholicism was designed to be the universal Christianity available to everyone. So to a certain degree, yes, there are points where it was made more palatable, but I also think it's just, it's what it was. It is closer to paganism because it's from the same tree yeah. as far as rituals and ideas about how you do religion. Mm. I think it is, again, it's a case of actually trying to go far, as far back as you can. And, I mean, if we look at Judaism, um, there's a, a, a very interesting author named Rabbi Gershon Winkler um, who actually writes about Kabbalah and Judaism from a shamanic point of view, shamanic and pagan mm -hmm. point of view. He actually went into the forest and he connected with his ancestral um, background. And it's fa it's fascinating stuff. It really is fascinating. Um, but I mean, even if you go right back to when Judaism was in Egypt, um, you know, there's that whole Egyptian influence as well. And at some point, that I think that branched out off from the the Kemetic influence. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, Egyptian religion looked a lot like Catholicism too. Mm. Incense and candles and processions and costumes and all of that to to um, turn the senses and get into a group state of mind. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question from Alistair. Why does Terry Pratchett depict the lords and ladies as being evil? I'm not sure. I haven't got that that far in my Pratchett yet. Do you mean the lords and ladies, the good folk in Discworld, or do you mean the lords and ladies like the aristocracy under Vetinari and that sort of thing? Because if it's the the good folk, Pratchett, when they're interacting with them, oh, there's the other option. There's the whole vampire aristocracy line in Discworld too. And at least from the perspective of the witches, and the weird sisters in Discworld, the good folk are not to be trifled with because they live in a different world, they have a different set of rules, and they don't really think humans are that important. And so you just, you don't want to mess with that. And then, you know, there's like Tiffany Aching who can go between and she deals with the peasantry there, the wee little men. But then the, the vampire aristocracy seemed to be like an outgrowth of like the evil that happens with like Fafnir in, in Norse mythology and just the the consuming like Jotuns that eventually turns humans into these evil consumers. So I haven't read Pratchett in quite a while, but mm. that's what I remember, maybe. <laughs> 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 I started. I started going through Pratchett, book by book by book. I think I've gotten to what have I gotten to now? Uh, I think the fifth or sixth book. But you know, other books take over. I've, I've, it's been sitting on my bedside table for months now. Still haven't finished it. Um, Nicole is here. Good morning, Nicole. Glad you can join. Good morning. Uh, nice to see you, love your vids, with a, a fantastic devil face. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, Tubal Cain. So, oh, yeah, sorry, carry on. Well, we'll so to we've Tubal gotten to, we'll get to Tubal Cain. So we've gotten to the devil and Christianity, and then coming back out. And there's this point, probably in most of our recent memories, if not in our generation in the craft, our teachers or grand teachers generation in the craft where there was a push, a big push to differentiate witchcraft from Satanism mm. because Satanism had emerged as a tradition that most pagans identified as Christian. Mm. It was still in that Christian worldview. It was about duality, antagonism, the continuing war kind of thing. Just some people had chosen the side of the devil instead of the side of God or the side of Satan, I should say. Um, and witches really were like, that's not us. It's not what we're doing. Pagans also had a big push of that's not us. That's not what we're doing. We're, they were not interested in being in the Christian worldview. They were very much trying to recreate a pagan worldview from before that snake wove itself into Christianity and back out, you know pre-Christian, way, way back before that influence. And now I think we're 
back, the snake has come farther out. We've come out, you know, away from the, hey, that's not us, because we have to differentiate ourselves before we can define ourselves. And now we're at the point where people are like, yeah, there's a devil in the craft, because the devil was in the craft before Christianity got a hold of him and defined all this stuff. Mm. But if that's what you want to call it, we had witch ancestors who called it that because they were around when that current of knowledge was in Christianity. And we picked up all this history over there. We picked up all of this language. And witchcraft is a counterculture. Witchcraft, there will never be a time when everyone in the world is a witch. Mm. Doesn't work like that. Um, pagan, sure. But witchcraft is itself a counterculture. It is in opposition to power. It is in opposition to mainstream. It is fringe by definition. And so to have a figure that was set up for being the icon of that position in the overculture, of course, that figure is going to be part of the uh, fringe culture, the counterculture, because there's power in that taboo. There is, there is power and there is knowledge and there is all sorts of stuff that comes simply from the overculture that we are counter to. That doesn't mean that we're always antagonists. That doesn't mean there isn't pagan influence and other things going on, but it is a component in the understanding of what that witchcraft current is and how it relates to the current overculture. Mm. Um, Andrew said that Pratchett is, is very good at explaining the good folk and doesn't prettify them. And Hollywood paganism is just ridiculous. <laughs> Hollywood anything is just ridiculous. Although they, they get some, some interesting stuff every now and again. That's, that's why we're doing uh, What's on the Telly mm -hmm. on Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee. Because we're, ta we're taking all the movies and series and whatnot and we're picking them apart and seeing what was actually, you know, quite relevant and what was complete trash. Um, the Witch in the Woods said the Druids were called serpents. So when Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, they were talking of Druids. Yeah. Um, in fact, I read something not too long back that St. Patrick, different name, he had a different name before that, was actually taken from England as a prisoner or something. I can't remember. I'm going to talk rubbish now, so ignore that. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there are no, no, no native snakes to no. Ireland. There was no point where there were snakes and somebody did some whatever kind of magic to remove them. So yeah, I'm not kidding. But again, serpents and snakes, wisdom, the connection with transformation and knowledge in the underworld and being able to move between worlds and move between the realms, land and sea and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, the whole uh, thing of the St. Patrick driving the serpents out uh, in relation to the Druids. Um, I've heard that a lot. That's um, mm -hmm. why I often wonder why a lot of pagans and witches still celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but, you know, who knows. Celtophilia. Mm. There's a lot of Celtophilia in paganism. Mm. And, and, but, I mean, there's a whole branch of Druidry that is Christian. Mm. I don't know that it would uh, necessarily celebrate the removal of another people but yeah 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, which in the words say kidnapped and became a slave in Ireland, escaped and then returned to convert them. Yeah, mm. I remember reading something about that, which is quite interesting. Alistair says, Am I right in thinking witches don't worship demons, Lucifer, etc., work alongside with them? Well, I think we should take a break now because then we'll come back and <laughs> we'll talk about. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Tubal Cain, the Watchers, or the Grigori, uh, the Nephilim, and uh, yeah. all of the fallen angels that made it into traditional witchcraft, well, witchcraft of some kind. Mm. And right. Lucifer and, and Lucifer worshiping and working, yeah, and what those differences are. Mm. Gets a bit convoluted and personal, I think. It does. It does. We'll, mm. we'll talk personally and uh, experientially because mm. that's what we can do. That's what we do. All right, so <laughs> we're we're going to take a break so I can make some hot chocolate, and we'll be back in about five minutes. If you haven't checked out the links in the description, please do so. Go and check out our stuff because it's fantastic. Right. Oh, wait, and if you got any more questions, put them in the chat while we're gone. Yeah. We will make sure we incorporate them into our talk. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you in a minute or two or five. Cheerio. If you would like to support us or learn more about magic and witchcraft, then check out our tiers on Patreon and buy me a coffee. That's patreon.com forward slash blackhatchat or buymeacoffee.com forward slash blackhatchat. You can join us around the hearth fire once a month for a witchy chat or sign up for some online classes in tarot and cartomancy with River and Kai or Demonolatry with Lee Johnson. Just check in the description of this podcast or in the About section for the links to those channels. Welcome back to the Black Hat Chat. Hang on, let me just get rid of that screen there. Um, <laughs> Yes, today we're talking about uh, the devil in the craft, and please remember to give us a thumbs up if you like our content, and share and everything else, and you know, we, well, we like questions, if you'd like to comment also, that's cool. Um, and if you didn't check out the links in the description, naughty on you, uh, go and check them out now. All right. <laughs> Let's just check if we've got anything new in the chat here. Uh, my dad's, Andrea, my dad's birthday is St. Patrick's Day, and he's Patrick Andrew, Nan's 13th child. Okay. Uh, Merry meet everyone. Who's here today? Shout out to you all. Yes, shout out to everybody. Hello and welcome. Um, all right. So, let's talk about Tubal Cain. Actually, before I start that, there's a fantastic article on Pathios about Tubal Cain in traditional witchcraft, which I will put mm. into the chat here. You can copy it across there. Very, very good article. 
What chat did you put it into? Into my YouTube. Yep. Oh. You know the delay. It's probably going to take a while to get through. Yeah. Take a minute. Yeah. There it is. Okay. So if you go into the uh, branches of Robert Cochran's works, uh, so we're talking about uh, the Clan of Tubal Cain, um, Evan John Jones stuff. Uh, just trying to think of other names here. Um, yeah, but that whole Shani Oates, the the Robert Cochran roots, really. Um, you're going to find mention of Tubal Cain quite a lot. Um, now, Tubal Cain was a character Smith in the Bible in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, that whole whole thing gets very confusing. His sister was Nama or Nama, um, who in demonology and left hand path is considered to be a goddess of lust, desire, prostitution, um, things like that. Um, a lot of things, but very much associated with Lilith as well. Um, I was watching a video earlier. Uh, Asenath Mason, I think it was, um, who actually mentions that Lilith and Nama were sisters, Poss- mm. possibly sisters, sisters, or or, or uh, Nama was uh, Lilith's daughter. Not quite sure which. Um, mm. But if you, I think if you consider Lilith, who is also supposedly the first wife of Adam, and then later on we have Tubal Cain whose grandfather was Cain, and Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. I'm not sure how they sort of tie in and relate. Yeah, well, biblical genealogy is confusing at best because, you know, Enoch lived for 700 years, so. True, true, yeah. Um, they lived for a and, But, you know, it's, it's mythology. Oh, as well. And I think a lot of mythology Morrison changes as the culture changes and you know that's what I'm talking about is like Tubal Cain and the story of Cain and Abel and the position of Lilith and Adam and the snake and everything else has become part of traditional craft mythology for some streams of craft even though that is totally totally biblical yeah right and we look into the Bible and the translations for that mythology and for the language around that mythology, like whose is whose granddaughter and sister and so on and so forth. But did was there an earlier mythology about the idea of the bonesmith and the idea of the master at the forge and the the women of power and the goddess of witchcraft that was translated into that Christian language mm. to keep the craft alive Mm. you know like where we look now and we go oh oh i totally recognize that in this other culture i come you know i identify with it it's something i believe i recognize it in that other culture and usually the first thing we do is syncretize it we go this is the same this is the same this is the same it's not exactly the same but if we were living where that other culture was the only way to be threat of penalty and death we would syncretize it and make it the same to carry our beliefs forward and i really think there's a lot of things especially in witchcraft that that has happened to and now where you can be other ways where we can continue our craft in the open um 
we're looking back at it and trying to pick out what's Christian influence and what's not. And I'm not sure we can divide that anymore. I think the snake has shed its skin and has new scales. You can't go stuff the snake back into the old shed. That's not how it works. You have to, to take the whole thing as it is and understand the transformations that have happened and your place in them. You know, I, I mean, my own path, there was definitely a time in my witchcraft where I completely rejected anything to do with Christianity, including the names Cain and Lilith, because they were just too Christian for me. And I wasn't raised as a Christian. Mm. I didn't grow up going to church and, and that sort of thing. But I didn't want any Christianity in my witchcraft. I wanted it to be wholly pagan. And that's not where I'm at anymore because of this different perspective I now have of reading history and everything else. And I'm okay with some Christian influence, but I know plenty of people that aren't mm. due to personal trauma with the church or for other reasons. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the reasons are, but you know, where, where we place ourselves with the great antagonist that is the church is going to be personal for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but the Tubal Cain character is quite interesting, um, especially when you get into the Watchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's said that um, Azazel or Azazel um, actually possessed Tubal Cain um, and became the blacksmithy. Uh, Tubal Cain was obviously known as the, the forger or the smithy uh, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a when you if you read that article, there's actually a, a lot of interesting correlations between um, the name and not just his name, but also his brother's names uh, with Hebrew translation. Um, and there's a whole aspect in there of of Tubal Cain being associated with horses and spears, and mm. actually yeah. uh, making him very much the sort of Axis Mundi. Um, in fact, so while I was reading it, it reminded me a lot of Odin, um, you know, with the spears and the horse, uh, sleep now, uh, and such things. Um, I'm sure, well, there's, sure there isn't an association. It just reminded me of that. Smiths, blacksmiths are quite regularly horse whisperers yeah. because blacksmiths are usually the ones making and shoeing the horses. And so, um, you know, traveling smiths especially end up in the the horse magic category and a lot of association there. And then weaponsmiths also. But spears occupy an interesting spot in blacksmithing understanding because they're not the same technology as making a blade. Mm. You know, making a sword or a dagger or a blade is a whole skill set unto itself how it's folded, how the carbon works and everything else. And that's where all of the lore about bones comes in because adding bones to your fire adds carbon, makes magical steel, so on and so forth. Um, But spear tips are small. They can be made out of, you know, melted down coins. They can be made out of bits of pots. Um, They fall into like tinkerers, which is another category of traveling smith. Um, And sometimes horse workers. Because, again, it's small amounts that you can carry, that you could move around. And so then 
there's the category of the wagon right. And if you're a woodworker, spear shafts, which are their own thing altogether also. Spear shafts have to be strong but flexible. Mm. You know, so there's all these lines of practical craft knowledge that turn into mystical craft knowledge. Well, turn into are the same thing as. Mm. Um, it just depends on how you're talking about it. I'm just going to find something here. There's a very interesting piece about the association of Tubal, the name Tubal. Well, Cain translates to um, spear. Mm-hmm. But the name Tubal, sorry, I'm just trying to find it here. Uh, it, it actually translates to world, but it's the feminine aspect. Um, yeah, world. World. Yeah. To inside world, underground, yeah. cave. Oh, here it is. Here it is. It, it, it's um, if we actually look at the name Tubal itself uh, is the Hebrew Hebrew Tebel, uh, which is the feminine noun that quite simply means world. So if you take that aspect of world being the womb and spear, you've got the the balance again. The the mm-hmm. the Skamos, the Holy Mary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's a whole lot of law yeah. with Tubal Cain in there. It's quite fascinating, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so as I said, Tubal Cain is suspected to have been possessed by Azazel, uh, one of the Grigori watchers that fell to earth. Um, and then they mated with human women and created the Nephilim, who were the giants. and Every tradition, all the traditions have some. Well, there's some mention of a of giant, a giant race somewhere. Um, and it's yeah, not sure where I was going with this. Well, like everything else we're talking about, we can be talking about literal giants. You know, you start getting into the Nephilim and the Gregory, and you're going to find all sorts of stuff about people digging up six, eight foot, twelve foot skeletons that look human, right? But there's also the metaphysical meaning. Mm. Giants among men. People that are big in might and main. People that are have giant influence or great power. You know, and if you're working the mysteries, you can be classified that way. Mm. So the Nephilim being the giants, or sometimes the father of the giants race, exactly where that shows up, being born of the union of the feminine dark earth and the forged spear or angels which are also called the forged spears of god the divine weapons of a sky divinity you know think about how initiation works and how we come to be witches you know so whether this is a literal history that we're drawing on, mythological history that we're drawing on, or metaphor for understanding how witchcraft works, yes. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> yes. The, all of the above. The answer is yes. It usually As with is so yes. many things. <laughs> when, when the question is, is it this or is it this? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but there, there's definitely a, an influence, um, an integration. 
uh, of the the angels, the fallen angels, uh, into uh, the, uh, witchcraft itself. Um, and a great book you might might want to check out is The Pillars of Tubal Cain by mm-hmm. um, Nigel Nigel Jackson and Michael Howard. Almost got the name right wrong there. Um, Hard to pick the right Nigel sometimes. Yeah, I know. Nigel Penn, <laughs> Nigel Jackson, Nigel this, Nigel that. No, Pearson. Yes, Pearson. There's three, there's, there's three Nigels that write in traditional witchcraft books. <laughs> <laughs> grab the right one. Yeah. It's actually an, an incredible book. It, it really has a hell of a lot of comparisons between all the different um, traditions and stuff. Uh, from yeah. from from the um, uh, Aramaic, uh, the Egyptian, um, you know, crossing the world really, and yeah. actually, actually delving right into it. While we're recommending books by Nigel, uh, The Devil's Plantation by Nigel Pearson um, is more like folkloric devil East Anglian lore kind of stuff. So, same ideas, different perspective. Why have I not read but, that one yet? That's disgusting. <laughs> so I'm gonna write have to make, I'm gonna make notes as well now. <laughs> there you go. So Fallen Angels brings us to Lucifer, right? The light bringer. Oh, yeah. My favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in that Christian mythology we've got only so many options to slot spirits into, right? They can be angels, they can be demons, it can be saints, but saints are probably alive, you know, and then God, God is Yahweh or Jehovah, and that's pretty much it. Innery, maybe. Um, the triplicity. So Lucifer becomes an interesting mythology point because Lucifer wasn't necessarily always around in Christian mythology at least not we understand as a fallen angel but if we take the story of the Gregory and we have the you know the Gregory that fall to earth and mate with human women and then produce an Ephilim well Lucifer came to earth and mated with Lilith right and sometimes (laughs) Depends on which Christian history you read, right? It, that's the problem, because my argument is, has always been that Lucifer didn't even exist in Christianity. It's not actually in the right. Bible. It was a mistranslation. No, Lucifer is not actually in the Bible. And but, the Book of Enoch, where we talk about the where we find the Watchers, Lucifer's not, not even mentioned. No. no. Mm. But Satan doesn't get named Satan tell like way later in Christian mythology anywhere mm. and because of the the process of Christian culture taking everything that is other and having to slot it in there somewhere and it all belongs in antagonists somehow the devil and Satan and Lucifer all end up being the same thing mm. even though they're from different cultures and they're different ideas but Lucifer at least in Luciferian witchcraft is the light bringer, the mm. child of the East, yeah. you know, the newborn son, which how many mythologies and traditions can we talk about um, the divinity that brings fire and light to humans? 
Mm. Like all of them. You know, through some sort of sacrifice, Prometheus and, and, you know, everywhere, they do something and they, they give humans fire. They give them light, which can be enlightenment, knowledge, understanding, the ability to cook food and not die, heat through the winter. But also we talk about, you know, awakening the witch fire, waking up that memory that you are Nephilim, waking up that memory that you are descended from the Grigori, that you are divine and waking up the witch fire within the blood, activating your ability to tap into your divinity and therefore all of these powers because you are part of the creatrix of the world you know so there's that position too and for some people lucifer is the devil is satan is their primary divinity in witchcraft because of that positioning because of that lore and for others not because Mm. that's not where that belongs in their mythology Lucifer can also be associated associated with uh, Azazel, um, as you said, in terms of you know fire, um, mm-hmm. and you need the fire to forge. Um, there's a there's a huge association with with Azazel actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know splitting the two, Lucifer would be more more of an airy aspect, um, a mental aspect, bringing the knowledge, knowledge and gnosis and things like that, whereas Azazel is more the the earth, the actual earthy. It's more like it's the fire within the earth. Mm, now, see, I I see them the other way. Lucifer chose from the light, um, refined, airy aspect to incarnate into the physical in order to bring the fire to the physical. Mm. So Lucifer is heavier because of choice. And Azazel, on the other hand, is the heat of the forge that comes out of the consumption and the transformation that is constantly escaping from the earth to the airy aspect and once out all of the time. So therefore is the light aspect because that's the way they're going. It's actually quite interesting because this is where things get very personal from person to person. Oh yeah, very personal. You know, your explanation of that makes perfect sense, but in my mind, it's that airy aspect coming down to earth, Lucifer becoming Azazel, and then becoming Lucifer again. Right, which is what we both said. Yeah, but we (laughs) just different interpretations. Yeah, and I and a lot of that I think boils down to experience. You know, Mm. how did you feel? when you stood at the forge how did you feel when you experienced these energies and how did it hit you Mm. and you know that's going to color and there's numinous stuff that we can all say we've shared this experience we are initiated but then again like how do we cram that and and wrap it up in words you can't it it leaks out the sides Mm. you know at the same time nobody's wrong always interesting right that's why I love these discussions. It's fantastic. <laughs> to dig into all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Witch in the Woods said uh, 968 pounds on Amazon. Which book was that? Oh, all these, all these pillars of Tubal Cain. I'm sorry we keep recommending these terribly expensive books. Uh, um, all of these that they're traditional out of print. craft books are becoming bloody expensive. Yeah. We do not mean to do that. These are just books mm. we found useful that we read and we don't. Don't check the prices. <laughs> Not anymore, <laughs> we've got them. <laughs> right. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not trying to price out witchcraft. That's something that really bothers me mm. is the inaccessibility of witchcraft uh, due to prices. I don't think witchcraft should be an elite thing. I also don't think knowledge should be locked up in towers behind a price tag. Mm. Um, but I don't have control over printing presses. So. No. Uh, Andrew said, at Lee, I often wonder how the Christian God, who knows everything, would allow Lucifer to do what he's supposed to have done. Well, this is the, argu oh. this is the argument. Here we go with yeah. the Epicurean paradox. No, no. Well, this, it's, it's my biggest argument whenever a Christian person starts arguing with me is, God is om omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Therefore, God created everything, correct? Yes, then God created Lucifer and the devil and everything else. No. Yeah, well, you know, if God created everything, then he created the other people. Yes. Because Adam and Eve's children had to go find wives, right? Cain and Abel had found wives that were not their sisters. Where the hell did they come from? Mm. Um, but that whole, if God is omniscient, omnipotent and omnipresent, then how does he allow for evil? And that whole argument tree, that's called the Epicurean Paradox, if you ever want to research it. Mm. Um, but I'm a witch. My gods are not omniscient, omnipotent, or nor omnipresent. We have small gods mm. in comparison. Um, so that yeah. answers that. And I, Yahweh is one of those, in, in my, mm. my opinion. Uh, but, you know, I'm not Christian. So This gets into a whole different topic, though. So... <laughs> But I, I'm going to say there are Christian traditional witches mm. and there are Christian magic workers in other traditions. I'm thinking especially of hoodoo, where the Bible and Christian faith is very important in the functioning of hoodoo because it's a, a biblical based tradition. And they've got their own understanding and reasoning for how that works. And it's all it's all personal, mm. you know, and. I've always said that being a being a witch is being able to hold paradox. And so I would think that some Christian witches are in that position of being able to hold paradox with questions like that. Mm. I don't know. That's my, my guess. So, you know, one doesn't necessarily rule out the other, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Andrea said, I'm getting a bit of a picture of a violent, hol violent, violet, holographic, shiny pattern. Nana's sending to you. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not seeing, seeing any, any violent holographs at the moment. If, if, if I do, I'll let you know, because I might be high. <laughs> so, um, back to Alistair's question. Am I right in thinking witches don't worship demons and devils, but work alongside with them? So here's the thing. We have to define witches do well. whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> but you can't you can't make an umbrella statement like that. We have to define worship. We have to define work alongside with and how those are different and what demons and devils are in their craft. Mm. So there are some witches where demons and devils are antagonists and therefore they would not interact with them. Then there's like goetic traditions where demons and devils are 
part of the craft, but they are definitely not worshipped in the way of divinity. They're abjured and controlled. And then there are traditions of the craft. Yeah, Non-ceremonial magic, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, demonolatry is devil worship, demon worship. That's what it means yeah. to worship, to give worth to. So I hear it a lot um, in paganism. Oh, we don't worship gods, only we work with them. Or we don't worship demons, only we work with them. And I, there's also plenty of religious, um, I guess, more devotion-oriented paths where people can't stand the whole work with idea Mm. and much prefer worship. So I think part of the problem comes with porting over the ideas of worship from modern Christianity and groveling. Mm. Modern Christian worship has a unique component that many pagans are averse to, and that is the groveling component. I'm not worthy kind of thing. The worth is transferred only to the divinity or the other spirit and removed from the worshiper, removed from the human. And lots of uh, pagans and uh, witches don't like that part, but there are plenty of pagans that have worship as an idea of giving worth to just like all of the ships we have, relationship, friendship, um, you know, those sort of things are, they're the same ship. <laughs> they're the bonding. They're the, the tie together between two things. You can't have friendship without worth-ship. You can't be friends with someone that you don't place value in. And so worship becomes that idea of placing value in, of placing worth in. And so in that aspect, worship and work with are the same thing, Mm. right? To establish a working relationship, there's the ship again, um, and place value and worth in each other. And I think it's just, you know, here we are at at niggling over terms and semantics and, and picking them apart. And we all have the experience and the baggage behind those terms that we bring to it that make us choose do we want to be called a witch? Do we want to be called a Wiccan? Do we just want to say we're a member of the craft? Do we say we use magic? All of those sorts of things. The same applies here with work with and worship. And I really don't think when it comes down to it, that there is a large difference unless you're talking about that groveling, unworthy component. And I find that that bit is not present in a large part of the craft and paganism because we don't tend to devalue ourselves in order to establish any kind of relationship, worship or working relationships or anything with other spirits. There we go. So that's my short answer. That's the short answer. My short <laughs> answer, short... which I'm always saying on my channel. <laughs> I mean it is it can be quite short. The 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 suffix ship often relates to an office or a station. Um, and it's it's just really uh, viewing something or someone uh, being worthy of that office office or station worthy worthy of respect, um, and that's what worship is. That's my short yeah. answer. Yeah, I, I I think that's one of the things that makes people opposed to the work with phrase mm. is it seems to remove that respect 
from the spirit that you are interacting with as if they are merely a tool as if they are merely a means to an end and it has a use kind of connotation to it you know so though there are negative connotations to both words and it just depends on how you view it where you're placing it i tend to be you know chameleon-like uh depending on who i'm talking to if it becomes clear that their idea of worship means that groveling component and i continue to use that word and that's not what i mean then i'm not effectively communicating with them mm. and i will change and use work with um you know and and vice versa if their work with has that use component um then i will change and use worship but my personal relationship with spirits demons and devils and so on included is one of mutual respect yeah. and placing value in the relationship and so it doesn't have the groveling bit and it doesn't have the use like a tool bit neither one therefore both of those definitions can apply for me mm. or not yeah andrea said supplication versus respect of spirit uh, seems to come up a lot recently it is coming up a lot lately um, a lot of people are saying i don't worship my you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't bend my knee to whatever. It's, oh yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. The I shall never bend my knee. Mm. Um, Alistair says, brilliant answer, and it's the groveling that I can't stand. And yeah, that's you know, that's what a lot of people mean when they reject the word worship. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I see it come up in heathen circles a lot. Ancient heathens prostrated themselves, laid flat on the ground, face down. Um, kneeled before gods and before idols when making uh, offerings and that sort of thing. That was a big part of the practice. Does it come along with the now Christian idea of I'm not worthy in the presence of God? Mm. We don't know. We don't know what they were thinking. It could have. Um, those practices may have been influenced by the Teutonic peoples and the heathen practices and came into Christianity that way, may have been there before. And we're just conflated but you know the whole i will never bend my knee before anything because nothing's bigger than me that doesn't bear out in my experience either mm. i have definitely encountered powers spirits divinities demons that are way fucking bigger than me and it would behoove me to act accordingly yeah. Instead of, you know, I, you know, fuck you. That doesn't always work out well in the spirit realm. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it drives astral parasites off and scares the little buggers off into the corners. You, it, it's discernment. You have to know what you're dealing with and how to properly behave. Mm. I obviously see it a lot in the left-hand path, you know, because we, the whole idea is to become a god or a goddess mm. um, yeah. and that seems to come along with this whole idea that we are all powerful um, yeah. we, we are all powerful to, to a certain degree in our own little cosmos in the cosmos and universe that we create and the reality that we create ourselves for ourselves but you know there's some beings out there which they're a bit bigger than you um, they're thousands of years well, old and these paths that are self-focused, that are focused on um, becoming divinity, and I don't like becoming in there. Um, yeah, we already are. But 
to realization. Yeah. Mm. Awakening, remembering. Um, a lot of them end up in a very egocentric situation where you become so focused on the self that it becomes the only thing instead of we're all becoming. Therefore, mm. a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm. And whatever I can do to help other people to remember and, and return, then better. You know, instead of let me step on someone because I'm the most important because I'm a god. Mm. Um, and this is the whole thing present in witchcraft. You know, we do not destroy our egos uh, like some has, but we don't just feed them everything and let them run free either. Mm. Um, you know, control the middle way, um, balance in all things. Mastering the you ego. Know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Leash it like a dog um, and ride it like a lion. I mean, that's what the whole, you know, Babylon mythos is mm. in, in demons and that sort of thing. All that. <laughs> all that lore in there. That's where that belongs. Yeah, that goes over there <laughs> into that corner. <laughs> Grab a cookie on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to leave but, the cookies for me. Well, yeah. It's just a food day. Cookies and chocolate covered strawberries and hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Come hot to the dark chocolate. side. It is full of deliciousness, mostly mm. chocolate. Um, but, you know, those questions do you worship demons or do you work with demons? Or witches don't worship demons. Those are pretty personal questions. And ask two witches, get five answers. Ask ten witches, the conversation won't end. You know? <laughs> so. Because uh, there's a lot of nuance in there, you know, what's what's demon, what's devil? Are they separate? Are they the same thing? How are we using the words? Um, you know, so, yes. Yeah, but then we also come back to the, the point that it was an integration of, um, I'm going to say more of an Eastern, not, not Asiatic, but, you know, that side of, of the world into... Um, you know, across Europe and etc. And there was an integration that happened and now it's become, as we said, the Western mystery tradition. Because all of that pulls from the Hebraic, um, the Aramaic, um, you know, all of those areas and pulls it into a European tradition. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't there originally, it just got brought along and integrated in order to, for, for those people to survive. And it's just developed over the years. I've got to wonder how much of that colonial Western mindset that others everything and then makes it exotic and therefore gives it power is the same story mm. of Satan antagonist and therefore why the devil becomes the, the one with great power and, and provokes the Epicurean paradox. But, you know, that happens with Aramaic, that happens with Egyptian lore, that happens with Judaic lore, that happens with, you know, anything Hindu, because it is othered and then pushed away and misunderstood, but therefore created power through taboo, which is like the whole story of Satan anyways. Mm. You know, all the same process. So there goes my light bulb. Ding. Ding. <laughs> bing, bing. 
Andrea's liking the chocolate. Good stuff. Mandy says strawberry milk today. Ooh, all, interesting. We're all having our enjoying drinks. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually think these live chats are going to make me fat. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, you said so. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I, it, I, I brushed my beard. Sorry, you forgot everything again. <laughs> it right off. You brushed all the thoughts right out of my mind. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I thought there was one more thing uh, we were going to talk about after the break. But perhaps we covered it. Does anybody else have any other questions? Anybody got questions? I mean, we, Mandy, we've, we've briefly covered says, the watchers and the Gregorian. Pleasantly one. plump, Pleasant. not fat. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Pleasantly plump, plump. I, I, I've got a dad bod. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I've also got Roman feet, which means I'm, I'm apparently well proportioned. So, therefore, a dad bod is actually a well proportioned body. I would yeah. agree that a dad bod is a well proportioned body. Yeah. That weird upside down triangle thing looks like snappy twig but no body shaming everybody gets to have whatever body they want as long as it serves you yes mandy says dad bods are in as far as i'm concerned all bods are in <laughs> because they're in the world <laughs> oh my word <laughs> <laughs> bad esoteric pun i know mm-hmm. on time. <laughs> yeah. all right uh, uh, Andrew's gonna Anyways, have a beer. Sorry, you were saying. I know. I was just, I was just thinking because we, we we spoke about Jubal Kane, we spoke about the Watchers briefly. I mean, I don't really want to cover all the Watchers. There's a lot of um, uh, fallen angels that aren't even considered. Yeah. What about the Devil at the Crossroads? Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, hoodoo tradition. Yeah, but also, um, I mean. The devil at the crossroads, the teacher at the crossroads, the mm. demon being the tutelary spirit. That's like most of East Africa, too. Not the devil. Mm. It got made into the devil. Um, but liminal spaces. The crossroads are a liminal space, a place, a place of transition from one world to another. And those tutelary spirits, demons, devils, but also like gods and goddesses like Hecate and Hades and Persephone and Kore and Kerberos and uh, Kibbele. <laughs> you know, we got a whole list. A lot of lists. Um, they're there at those liminal spaces between land and sky on the shoreline, the line that, that cannot be pinned down You know, at the crossroads where you can go and meet these spirits. You don't spend your life with them necessarily right but you go have a relationship a meaningful exchange and get some skills right some knowledge again here's the the spirit that gives fire to humanity mm-hmm. that gives knowledge and like in hoodoo lore and traditions it's the devil at the crossroads or the black man at the crossroads and he teaches you a skill Usually you go looking for a specific skill. A lot of those skills are what we would now call bardic 
skills. The power of inspiration, of poetry, of a silver tongue, of, you know, playing an instrument well, being skilled with the fingers, or the magic mead that comes through Norse mythology and inspiration and frenzy. But there's also meeting the devil at the crossroads to get straight up magic, which is a bardic skill also to be able to inspire people to change their minds about something, to get them to see the world in another way. I mean, great art doesn't just make you appreciate it. It makes you look at the world in another way. It changes who you are as you go through a transformational experience. So the power to create that kind of change in other people is witchcraft. Mm. Um, yeah, you said it all. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, which in the words said she's going to grab a coffee and what's the demon? I spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. It's the Greek word for tutelary spirit, guide, guardian, etc., etc., etc. The Latin is spelled D-A-I-M-O-N, uh, which obviously yeah. became demon, the English word, Christianized into something evil. Later in Latin, uh, daemon or demon also just meant the same thing as vite in uh, Norse, which just meant something that was alive. Mm -hmm. uh, Mandy has a comment I've noticed a strong push here in my area that everything that is bad is caused by the devil cancer, sickness, fire, all the unfortunate happenings like the devil wants this insert thing here to happen and we won't let it we will pray it away and not let the devil in kind of mantras it's everywhere and no amount of trying to talk through logic about it does any good yeah well that's a, because there's a mob yeah. mind Christian mythology has an antagonist. All bad things flow from actions of the devil, and all good things flow from actions of God. Simply by being good or bad, their source is therefore determined. The devil can't do good because the devil is, is the source of bad things, and God can't do bad because God is the source of good things. Mm -hmm. And I think the prayer warrior thing that has come out of um, modern Protestant American Christianity especially is really an interesting manifestation of the craft because it's usually groups of women getting together and chanting right mm. <laughs> like super witchy um, but they're doing it in in this Christian mythology inside of this Christian worldview and they have that antagonistic worldview where things are A or B they are you know, good or bad, they're white or black, they are God or the devil. And they're soldiers in the war. I mean, I, it, it's prayer warriors. They are still in that Roman war thing. And so they have to choose a side, which is part of the reason they're so opposed to Satanists. Anybody who says they're on the wrong side, they're literally at war. And Therefore, it's it's just like if you were going to war and your brother said, oh, I'm going to go fight for the other side. Maybe I'll kill you. It's that same kind of idea. So, yeah, they're not going to they're going to jive with Satanists. But, you know, I don't see any point in 
in talking to those people about the devil may do good things or the devil may bring light because their worldview, their mythology doesn't help it. I just go to their prayer circles and pray with them because it's a massive amount of power and it's really cool. And if I'm there, I can probably help shift it over to, you know, actual healing and growth and protection instead of just beat the devil out of Jimmy, which like I'm not cool with, you know. So. Uh, let's see. Andrea's flirting with me again. So I look fine. Um, I look fine. I look fine. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to try and say your name. Excuse me if I got it wrong. Rele Bohile. Uh, just tell me if I got it wrong. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Um, kind of off topic, but what's your take on transcendental magic? Now, I've heard of transcendental meditation, but not transcendental magic. Any thoughts on that side? I've also heard of transcendental meditation, but not transcendental not magic. magic. Yeah, not quite so, sure, Lovey. Sorry. Don't know what you mean by that, because all these terms have all these meanings. So, yeah. educate us. Yeah, and we, we keep saying that... All, you know what we knew as something 20 years ago people are talking oh, about yeah. it using different terminology and i'm like i sit there and go and what do they mean and then it it clicks oh it was that um yeah. all these terms please please educate us and tell us what it is you're meaning so that we know what what's going on because we may need to go look stuff up um andrea at Rev Kai, I often help others to cross over and wonder what the name is nowadays, as there seems to be quite a lot of different names. <clears throat> you can psychopomp them. I like that. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard humans psychopomp being called psychopomps, <laughs> but that's, you know, I guess in the, the verbing the nouns way that English is going, yeah, that makes total sense. Mm. I don't know that there's necessarily a name for that nowadays saying i help people cross over lots of people know what that means yeah that's a common term yeah. throw them through and the it's veil. A, i don't know it's a common <laughs> skill task necessary position for people to take up regularly assigned witchcraft duty <laughs> mm. you know yeah okay i like i like this one uh ingo said uh, the devil sets the world on fire to change it oh we could create a whole show just around that sentence oh yeah yeah well the devil and the fire and forge smiths and the master and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. yeah that's like totally up my alley yep. totally forger yeah well blacksmith mystery worker who's in a group with a bunch of other practical blacksmiths so i don't do the the smithing stuff but i'm the one sprinkling the weird powders on the forge fire <laughs> <laughs> but we have a lot of a lot of mystery um and metallurgical alchemy in our traditional witchcraft because blacksmithing is a practical skill that is part of our our daily practice and i'm an herbal alchemist but um metal alchemy it's the same language it's the same metaphysical understandings and having that practical experience and all the tools around. I mean, when we need an anvil and a hammer, it's pick which one you would like, you know, and which tongs are we using this week? Oh, that, those are broken. Those need repaired. We'll use those. Um, 
having that to hand brings those mysteries to the forefront and, and creates a living understanding, just like, you know, working with horses, all of the horse whisperer mysteries come to the forefront because you have practical understanding. You know, there are these guilds and these are streams in the craft that point different ways to the heart of the fire at the master's forge. There's my language that goes with blacksmithing. Um, but that language is going to point the way depending upon your experience of the practical mysteries. Um, Andreas uh, asked uh, duality, but God created all of this. Yeah, mm. you know, when 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 we speak about God, we have to consider that there is um, something which people call God, which is the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, etc., entity which did create everything. But then we have God which is more of an egregore. Um, it's a mm. self-created entity, which, you know, millions and millions of people over hundreds of years have fed into and made it very, very big. Um, so considered to be the biggest egregore in the world today. Um, but that's not particularly the same God as that uh, the great architect, the all-mind, uh, and, mm. you know, that, that type of entity. So... When we talk about God, we need to kind of differentiate with what God we're talking about, I think. Yeah, uh, God is a big word that means a lot of different things, too. Mm. A lot of different things. Um, Actually, and, sorry, somebody asked me the other day, uh, who's the, um, I can't remember the term they used, uh, who's the primal demon in demonology? I said, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very happy with that. Just like all these other terms we use in the craft, like if you say to somebody, I'm a witch, they're going to take that very short term and apply all of their experience and understanding to the word. That happens with God, too. Mm -hmm. If somebody uses God as omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, and you say, God, they take all of their ideas about God and put it on your understanding of gods, which is why we have phrases like my gods are small gods to differentiate um, those meanings and those nuances. So mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about Christianity versus the craft and, and the moving through that and how much of the craft is changing and tweaking things just a little bit to be a little bit different, you know, just as, as we could use the Bible and the key for divination or the Psalms for magic, but they're not the same as somebody in like a Lutheran church doing it. Even though they're the same tools, they're the same words, it's it's the little tweaks, it's the little things, it's the differences in terms. Mm. So. Um, uh, Bahile, um, so Transcendental Ma Magic is a book by Eliphas Levy. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I, th okay. I thought you were talking about a whole body of uh, magical tradition. Um, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> yeah, Eli Eliphas uh, Levy is, uh, yeah, considered to be one of the foundations. Um, very important to read if you are going to be practicing magic, ceremonial magic especially, and Western mystery tradition. Um, which dogma et ritual de hot la magie? Yeah, that one. Oh. The English translation, oh. though. 
The English translation is called Transcendental Magic. I just read it in French. Cool. I will. I will read that. Have an opinion after I read it. There you go. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I was doing all the ceremonial magic stuff. Hmm. Long, long time. Yeah. Uh, which in the words, okay, talking of the devil, what's your opinion on the inverted pentagram? And I don't use it. Uh, to me, it means matter over spirit. But that is the use of it when it's, what, sorry, but what is the use of it when it's inverted in your opinion? That's very, very similar. Um, my favorite uh, translation or ideology behind that was um, when I was in the first church of Satan and Lily Ali actually posted about it and said that the the upright pentagram has spirit at the top so you're taking spirit into the heavens so the inverted pentagram has spirit at the bottom and therefore you're bringing spirit into the earth uh, it's chthonic um, but that was always, always my favorite translation of that that's how I've seen it. And also, you know, um, first degree being the upright um, pentacle or pentagram, uh, rising of knowledge in the body. Second degree being the inverted, meaning application of knowledge to the world around you. And then the triangle for the third one, the uniting of the world, the self and gnosis, divinity, godhead, in order to create balance and pass it on. Mm. So... Um, I don't know. I don't use a pentagram much in my practice anymore, oh, um, except perhaps uh, as a patent. Um, I really think in 3 and 4D instead of 2D. Uh, but early on in, in my studies, the upright inverted pentagram was a big deal about which way things flowed up and down. Um, but that's not not a regular part of my practice anymore but you know the shock value of a baphomet head on an inverted pentagram is quite handy sometimes hmm. um so <laughs> um lady capera's here hello lady capera um i find it humorous that many witches substitute universe for god now like the universe is good or bad um I suppose I mean it depends what you want to call it. I mean if you if you read the three initiates, um, oh I just gone blank. Uh, Cabalion, um, mm. you know it's it's the all mind. If you actually go into the first verse of the Bible and God created, what is it? God created heaven and hell, whatever. God created the world, cosmos. Um, you actually go into the original uh, Hebrew that the word God in there actually has 42 different translations um, and some of those are the mind um, if you go into Hermeticism they speak about the mind and the all mind and um, if you want to call it the universe it's a universe you know cosmos. yeah I, I use the term universe quite often in my public facing practice especially when i'm doing clergy stuff for mixed groups or when i'm doing divining i don't necessarily mean it as a substitute for god and it mm. definitely can't be classified as good or bad or good or evil i mean it is the big huge universe thing that contains everything within it 
Um, especially when I do astrological conversation, I find that's the best short term to talk about what I'm doing. I'm having a conversation with parts of the universe, which is bigger than concepts of God, which is bigger than concepts of even the Christian omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. Um, and it's because it's, it's a short term, like just saying I'm a witch, even though that means way more than that short little term. Um, but I do believe in Gaia's theory on that bigger level in that I'm an animus. Therefore, the universe, even though it's this huge, massive thing, is not simply a, a mechanical uh, cog of parts. It is a living, enshrined, inspirited entity that may have will, that may have um, desire, that may have intelligence. But it's so big in comparison to me, I probably can't recognize that mm. because I can't communicate with it. And so that stopgap of astrology is my language cross with something that giant for me to to understand and get little glimpses of what that great will and um, intelligence is doing what is happening because I am part of that just as everyone else is part of that just as the gods are part of that but that's definitely bigger than good and evil mm -hmm. and um, but it's not something I interact with the way I would interact with a god or a demon um, because it's it's too big it's too far away I can't get there um, to make offerings or prayers or anything like that I can just hope to divine some bits of will in order to see how they apply to me and or my clients personally. And that's, I mean, anything beyond that personal application, I have no hope of seeing because I don't have any connection in that groove. Mm. So, I mean, I, I often use the term universe, depends, depends who I'm talking to. But w when I say God, I'm actually referring more to the Kabbalistic God, which is everything and nothing, which is very different to the Christian God. Um, mm -hmm. So quite often, depending on who I'm talking to, I will say universe or I'll use the word cosmos. Um, yeah. You know, that all-encompassing power that is everything and nothing. Yeah. And, and yeah. Beyond us. It depends on who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't want to use words in a way that shut down communication. Mm. That doesn't actually serve my ends. Um, if I can use words in a way that help foster communication and connection, then that's what I will use. Um, and that's why I'm so big on fuck cringe culture and fuck shaming people for these little things because it shuts down communication and it severs connection. And I ain't going to help nobody. Mm. Um, Andrea said, creator is what I mean when I say God, but I think my idea of the creative force is different to the Christian God. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I don't like using the word creator because in that aspect of um, a an all-encompassing power being everything and nothing, um, it, it's creative and destructive at the same time. Um, this is why I don't like using creator because only seems to yeah. indicate that it's just a creator it, it, there's no destruction i mean some people might use the word nature uh, mm. which is creative and destructive um, all at the same time there's that balance yeah 
Uh, Lady Capera says, I like all source, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, great terms. I really liked source until I watched Charmed. <laughs> and yeah. then it kind of messed it with it in my head. But this is, this is those terms. Mm. Um, you know, we use terms based on our experience and based on who we're talking to um, and how we can best communicate. And they're, they're going to be different. They're going to have different ideas behind them, you know, and hopefully we get the opportunity to take the time to have these conversations where we each explain what we mean with the words we use, but in TikTok land and online and everything else, we don't always get the time. Mm. And we just assume that people are using words the same way we are. Uh, like, you know, if you don't like the term universe and you think it sounds silly, but the other person may not be using it that way. It, it's that sort of thing. Um, so you don't have to pick up other people's terminology, but I highly encourage you not to shit on it uh, mm. because you're not going to help uh, foster the communication and connection. And if you have the opportunity, ask what they mean. They may be full of shit. There's lots of people out there that are full of shit. And there's lots of people out there that, you know, are off their rocker. But at least find out first. I'm completely off my rocker. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're going to bring today to an end. I am quite surprised how much we ended up talking about God for yeah. a show that was about the devil. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> And how little we talked about actual experiences with the devil in the craft. Like yeah. when he comes knocking on your door in the middle of the night. Mm. Or when you go down to the crossroads and and learn to play guitar. Or, <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Sorry, Trila. Should we, do mm. we need to do a show about God in the craft so we can talk about the devil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Just, it's, just, it's just balance, that's all. It's yeah. it's just balance. Yeah. <laughs> Mandy says, or violin. Oh, with the devil. Yeah. Well, mm. yeah. I don't know how to play the fiddle. I, I, I know how to play the guitar, but I'm not very good at it. I actually learned to play the bass. That was my um, teach me some, some stuff kind of instrument, because I already knew how to play the saxophone. And I was like, I need to learn how to play the bass. Um <laughs> Hang on, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a good one here, a uh, good question. Um, Lee, is it possible for the devil to give you more than what you asked for, as in knowledge, after you trade in a part of your soul, time dedicated to a particular task? Got to be careful with that terminology there, because we don't trade our soul or give our soul or anything like that to the devil or to the demons or anything like that. Um, there's a big Hollywood uh, misinterpretation that gets um, all passed on to, especially the youth. They like giving your name to the fairies. Yeah, um, but this whole thing, um, selling your soul to the devil, um, or you know, um, getting something in return after ten years, you, your soul belongs to the devil and things like that, making pacts in this in that regard. It, it doesn't actually happen. Well, it does. It, it happens because people do it. But I, <laughs> I know of a particular experience where somebody did it and the, the demon they were actually trying to communicate with sat there and said, I don't want your soul. Um, so 
What am I going to do with this? I don't know. What am I going to do with that? You know? It's not what I wanted. Um, but it, it keeps happening. And the problem is that in those circumstances, the person actually making the pact to sell their soul to the devil doesn't actually hear what's what's being said. You know, this, I do not want your soul. Please, you know, give me something different. Um, and then all these astral parasites come along because they that demon, devil, whatever, walks away because he got sick and tired of trying to like shout at you. And these astral parasites come along and they attach themselves to you. So, uh, yeah, be very careful about this whole sending your soul in packs and, and all that stuff. But um, defining trading part of your soul as time dedicated to a particular task is a really good interpretation mm. of the classic selling your soul at the crossroads um, metaphor, because that is how it works quite often, um, especially when gaining a skill. Go to the crossroads, meet a tutelary spirit, time gets suspended while you practice this skill to gain it. And that is part of your soul because you disappear from the mundane world mm. and spend all this time in the other world building this skill under the tutelage of the spirit and then that it it's selling part of your soul because it's part of your lifespan that you've broken off and seemingly detached from the normal timeline uh, of the Cowan space and so you may die early because you took 10 years to build this skill in the other realm instead of here. And other people didn't see that pass. I have mm. seen that interpretation before, and it's one that I think is um, a good way to understand that selling your soul at the crossroads metaphor, but also understand the um, crossing back and forth between this world and the other world. Time doesn't move the same. And when people don't understand where your time went, mm. you know, that explanation happens or, um, but you know, what you're talking about, how we define soul is a big thing too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's also the aspect of making offerings. You can actually make an offering of time. Um, mm -hmm. you, can, you can dedicate your time to a particular thing. Uh, and it may be study or it may be, um, um, charity work or something like that. So you're giving your time, which is a sacrifice. Uh, Saturn really likes it when you dedicate your time. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of lot of ways you can you can actually interpret that. <coughs> um, get through these comments. Andrea said, "I feel that it's quantum, and everyone seems to use terminology in different ways." Yeah, oh, yeah. quantum's coming up a lot lately. Um, Ingo, back to the topic. At the moment, I educate myself around on Luciferian terms. So, can you two help understand the whole Lumiel, Lucifer, Azazel, Cain interweaving? Oh my goodness me! It's this mess. It's this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Azazel, Lumiel, Lumiel, Azazel. There's, I think I've actually <laughs> spoken about practically all of that during this whole show. Um, um, 
We've yeah, got but Lu it's also Lucifer coming down to the Azazel going up and the the cane coming in and becoming the, 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 fir the first witch. <laughs> um, and, and the Tubal forge. Your Tubal came becoming the uh, or game possessed by Azazel and the forge. Um, right. Yeah. I think this but, whole show is about that. the spreading of the light. Um, yeah. Experience it. That's the best I can say. <laughs> um, what is, is it the six raid right of the peacock? Or the adamantine right uh, of the adamantine forge? Um, it's Chumbly something, something by Chumbly, mm. probably a Q-Tub or one. There is a right specifically for figuring that out um, that involves um, creating and forging the adamantine light within yourself. And it is specifically to understand the interaction of, of Azazel, Lumiel, Lumiel, Azazel, and, and meet Cain and Lucifer and and get yourself in that space and um i know it's by chumbly i'm pretty sure it's in q-tub um talking about expensive fucking books um <laughs> they were expensive but, when you bought them out yeah they were expensive mm. uh, but you know that that stream of sabbatic craft uses that language to encompass that understanding and so if that's where you're looking go looking down that road um, go looking down the toad grimoires and, and that sort of thing. And the right works. Um, I have done it. I have helped other people perform it. I have performed it in groups and it consistently leads to the same understanding. So that's effective magic. You know, if you can do the same thing and get consistent results, then it works. Uh, so go down, but to just like, explain it in words in less than 15 minutes you know <laughs> it's it's very like entwined that. and it's very complex and it's more than three dimensions mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh rollover healer's uh question about the um um trading part of your soul as she continues uh and does that mean he is partially in control of you Ooh, there's a key <sighs> Uh, I'm going to say no. Well, <laughs> depends on where you stand. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, it also depends on the type of work you've been doing. I mean, if you do yeah. invocation work, you bring that energy into yourself, uh, which means that, if, I mean, it's taking on God forms and stuff. In a sense, that entity would be in control of you Oh, this can be taken apart so many ways. So, the simplistic explanation is you go to the devil and you sell your soul and then he's in control of you and you're fucked, right? Uh, because um, you thought you weren't using your soul and then it turns out you need it and then bad things happen. Um, but the long explanation from like the materialistic machinery view, and there's the animus view, is the more time you spend in that resonance, the more you hear that resonance and therefore operate on that resonance. Just like you can make mistakes in witchcraft and end up giving yourself over to the control of astral parasites, of uh, the good neighbors who may not have 
um, the same interests you do. The same can happen with other spirits. In my experience, it rarely happens with the category of spirits we call demons because we have no use for that. Um, but being controlled by, we can explain as being influenced by because you are within that resonance and often ends up in that if you break open your soul to try to give it as a piece of an offering, then you are wounded and going to attract parasites and, and nasty infections and that sort of thing. And you become sick with that magical infestation and therefore end up doing things that feed that infestation, just like if we're talking about bacteria and viruses on a physical level. It's the best analogy I have. Mm. Um, but you can definitely interact with tutelary spirits, with demons, and with the devil at the crossroads without giving yourself over to control. Mm. Um, I do not recommend that as a way to start things. Uh, you need to get your meditation and your breath work, build up your astral body, understand your shields and get your, your energetic health good before you go venturing out. Um, when you have learned what you can learn from the physical realm, then you go learn from another realm. And that's where demons and the devil come into it. If you go too early, you will probably get hurt. Um, and lots of people do it. That's part of the reason almost all witches are healers uh, because you know um, this is a common experience mm. so but it's it's not one path here that always leads to selling your soul and therefore being controlled um, I think that is a narrative that describes some things that happen from the outside without understanding from the inside mm. the best i can put it because mm. um, people do end up in that position even accomplished magic workers end up in that position without taking the right precautions or you know if they're not paying attention to something um but especially trying to do things that you do not understand from within mm. and just following outward forms i think that's where we end up with dangers and problems and sicknesses and infestations and that sort of thing. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Inga said, I'm reading Chumbly and Co at the moment, but the whole fire and light thing is hella complex. I feel you. Yeah, well, yeah. stare at a fire for a while. Uh, Chumbly's Grimoire. <laughs> sure. It's hella complex. Sure. Hella complex. That's crazy um, stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, fire and light is its own mystery. It really is. And um, just like we're talking about the mysteries of the craft through various streams, um, fire and light is its own mystery language. And I highly suggest candle scrying and fire scrying. Um, if you forge, you know, hang on with some blacksmiths. Um, see what happens in a forge. Uh, even, you know, propane or coal, doesn't matter. It's still heat and light and fire and the transformation and the change in colors there's a a visceral understanding that comes from practical experience that is hard to communicate in just language but then when you can take the practical experience and put it with the esoteric language you can find 
the mystery in the middle. So um, this is why you you need other people to teach you the craft. And I don't necessarily mean witchcraft with a capital C. I mean, practical crafts like blacksmithing and wheelwrights and pottery and weaving and spinning. Because that physical line passed down will be a doorway to the mysteries where you can get the esoteric language um, from the other side. So I, I really do think if you don't have somebody teaching you on this side, you got to have somebody teaching you on this side. Mm. All right. I'm going to bring this to an end. Otherwise, we're going to go over our two-hour thing. Oh, well, it's okay. Yeah. I, it, yeah. People complain about podcast. People... <laughs> <laughs> you can pause a podcast. I'll be like, I'll come back to it later. But if, if folks still have questions, I want to make sure we address questions. Okay. If we can. Yeah. If anybody's got any questions, then just get them in quick. Uh, and just <laughs> As said, I twist your arm. Yeah, and just said discernment and respect as well as the self-respect seem to be so much more important, so much, so so very much important. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and discernment is is very important. Um, if you're not talking to the right spirit, then you can get yourself into a whole lot of trouble. And Ingo said, "Forged as a child, I know the forge." Well, awesome. Mm. Yeah. So if you've got you've got that practical experience behind you, you know, go through go through the steps even if in your mind and start applying those ritual bits that Chumbly's talking about and working through them and finding their correlations in the practical experience. Um, and forge some stuff. Um, adding that esoteric language on top of practical experience at the same time will often strike that light will often hit that inspiration where you suddenly get the epiphany and understand something, you know, and you may have to do some weird things. Um, You may, you know, have to stand in different places, you know, forging facing the East is different than forging facing the West. Um, You know, where you keep your fire, are you reaching across with your tongs or you're reaching across with your hammer? You know, um, you know what it feels like if your anvil's at the wrong height, you know, are you how are you smoring your fire are you adding bone dust are you burning wood which kind of wood are you burning if you're burning propane what is your mixture all of those bits are in the esoteric understanding too um and you need to have both on board at the same time i think to get those epiphanies and so like most witchcraft it's a lot of back and forth and a lot of repeating you keep coming back and around, spiraling around to the same ideas again and again until you eventually get to the center where you have the understanding. There you go. <laughs> Lee just goes, uh huh. I understand nothing about <laughs> forging, so there you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now I'm going to bring this to an end. Thank you very much. <laughs> Kai is done talking, whether they want to be or not. Give <laughs> <laughs> shit. Uh, there's no more questions. There you go. What are we talking about next week? I cannot remember. Sacred space. Sacred space, yes. Uh, we're not bringing Treading the Mill 
we're making treading the melon such separate, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so talk generally about sacred space creation. Yeah, sacred and mundane space creation theories behind sacred space. Mm. You know, square in the circle, laying the compass, that sort of stuff. Mm. So we'll bring all of it in, really. We're okay. treading. Yeah. Well. <laughs> next week. Next week. Yes. <laughs> next week we're talking about sacred space right then <laughs> if you did not check the links in, let me try again right if you did not check the links in the description please do so because they are all very interesting <laughs> you can join our patreon or buy me a coffee where you can learn very interesting things or you can join us for a half fire chat once a month where we pick a topic and we all get together face to face, not just the two of us. So yeah, that would be very good. Uh, which, in the, our... which in the woods said, interesting chat. Thank you. Pleasure. Mandy said she's excited for next week's topic. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for next week's topic. Um, um, we've also got our um, What's on the Telly exclusives. That is only a dollar on our Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon. If you want to see Lee and I talk about Hollywood magic and TV shows and what we think, what's real, what's not, what we think is stupid, what we think is hilarious, um, <laughs> you can find that in our exclusive supporter stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, classes are coming out again for September. So if you'd like to join either of the classes, all of the back material is there. You won't be missing out on anything. You can join in at any time. Yeah, and with, with the courses, we um, have one video a month, and then two weeks after the video is, has been uploaded, you, we have a live class. Uh, so mm -hmm. you can you can chat to us, ask us questions, and whatever you want to do. Yeah. All right, then. So we'll see you all next week. What a fantastic weekend and a week. And oh, I keep forgetting I've got to click a button. There we go. You have to do the producer thing too. Oh, God, I've got to do the producer <laughs> thing. Yeah, handle it all here. <laughs> all right, so we'll see you, see you next week. Thanks, everybody. It was a great chat. Bye. bye bye. Thank you for joining us today in the Black Hat Chat. Have a look in the description of this podcast or in the About section for all of our links and tune in next week for another exciting chat. <laughs>